0: The Fake Show podcast welcomes our newest sponsor, the Craft House Brewery in Henderson, the law firm of Hutchison & Steffen, Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas, Mr. Antenna, and Brew City Brand. It's the Fake Show with Jim Tofty. My next guest, Verdeen White, is one of the most talented electric bass players in music. His band, Earth, Wind & Fire, has sold in excess of 90 million albums. They've won several Grammy Awards, and they sit comfortably in the Rock & Roll Hall of Fame. They're back on tour with an upcoming mini-residency here in Las Vegas at the Venetian. Let's welcome Verdeen White from his home in Los Angeles. Nice speaking with you again. How have you been? I've
1: been good. I've been good, really good
0: today. I can't wait to see you guys here, as always, here in Las Vegas. We look forward to Earth, Wind & Fire. You guys are practically natives here.
1: Well, absolutely, yeah, well, and it's going to be good to do our residency yeah uh, our second one, so... Uh, it's really an honor and a pleasure, and it's going to be a great show, too.
0: You know, I'm a huge fan of your bass playing and have seen you have seen you guys time and time again here in Las Vegas. I know that you started with a stand-up bass.
1: Right, yeah, I started stand-up when I was a early, early teenager, and Maurice uh, got me that bass from one of his buddies, and, and I took to it, you know, and uh, that and bass guitar and, and lessons and things like that. So it was, a, you know, it was... It, it, I always say it picked me, you know, pick me.
0: And I believe that because you never know with kids, right? Because you can drop it after just a few lessons, and, and that's the end of that.
1: Right, right. You're, that's right. You never know. That's right. You never know. That's right. Absolutely.
0: So did you study the classics as well when you were growing up in Chicago?
1: I did. I did. Uh, with Roddy Villar from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and, uh, uh, and he was great. He was a great teacher. And then I studied with Louis Satterfield, uh, the great Louis Satterfield from the Phoenix mm-hmm. Horns, and uh, he was he was fantastic, too. You know, he was great. I was around good people, and I was really well-protected and, and great musicians, you know.
0: When did the electric bass enter the picture for you?
1: About a year after. So I was doing both at the same time.
0: Do you observe other bass players and how... Can you tell if it's someone who started maybe with a stand-up bass and made that transition to electric?
1: I can't. I can't you can't really tell, you know. I, I can't tell, which is not a bad thing either, but, you know... I can't tell because you know the bass guitar is such a, a dominant instrument. It doesn't really matter how you get there as long as you get there. You know.
0: I know that your late brother Maurice was a drummer in the Ramsey Lewis Trio, which right. must which must have been very exciting for him. Did, did you ever see him play with Ramsey Lewis?
1: I did twice, and that was a great trio, too. Great, great, great trio, and they were yeah. People people don't really know how big Ramsey the Ramsey Lewis trio was. It was that was a huge trio. I mean,
0: huge. So not long after that, Maurice decided to uh, strike off on his own and, and form. About
1: five him. years after, like five years after he joined, yeah.
0: So he leaves for Los Angeles. What was it about Los Angeles that he
1: that he felt he should go there? I just think probably for what he wanted to do. You know the entertainment business. You know what I mean and. And what they had to offer, you know what I mean, particularly with the idea that he had. You know, I'm not sure if that would have been able to be as successful in Chicago as it would be in California.
0: Was there also a feeling of the uh, strong community of studio musicians who were already established out there?
1: No, I don't think that was it. I don't because he wasn't he wasn't doing studio work out there.
0: How long had he been out there before he gave you a call and said, "Look, it's it's time. Come on out and join me."
1: It was about two months two months after. Quite quick, actually.
0: And how old were you at that point? 18. I know your parents were very encouraging. Did they say, yeah, go, this is this is the next move for you?
1: They were, they were great. You know, the fact that I was going with him, and he was already successful, so I think had I went with somebody else, that would, that would have been a no-no.
0: So what was the strategy? What was the plan? You know, at that point, is he gathering up other musicians?
1: Yeah, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, I was 18, so I didn't know the strategy. I was just playing. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I was too young. You, know, you right. know, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. You know, you know. I didn't even know what the word strategy meant. You know, what <laughs> so you know what I mean. So you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. What was the first thing you guys laid down? Do you recall that on an album? See, sweet bag.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was the first one. You know, and uh, and I was still pretty much getting it together as a as a as a player. So you know, it, it took a while. You know, but it was a good learning ground, a good training ground for me, you
0: know. Were you guys just spending so many hours doing this? Was there anything else going on that you had stuff in your uh, free time, or was there free
1: time? No, that's all we were doing. That was everything, you know, because it was a big deal. You know, going to California, it was a huge deal being
0: out there. Yeah, and as you said, you have you had great influences. I know that Ron Carter and Richard Davis and people like that were important. Yeah, yeah. yeah Absolutely, and I still stay in touch with Ron.
1: So it was great, really
0: great. You know? On a more pop level, a rock level, maybe uh, I would think that you ha- would appreciate people like James Jamerson and, and
1: oh, any... He was part of the equation, you
0: know. So do you listen to someone like him and maybe even a Paul McCartney, who I think is underrated as a bass player, and think that's right. some that's something I can
1: use? Right. Yeah. Anybody does something great, I think, are influenced by that. Anything that is really good. And connecting, you
0: know. I know that you practice for hours as a kid. Is this something that you still, to this day, is rehearsal very important for you?
1: Absolutely. I think I think uh, uh, preparation is the key, you know. I talked to uh, your
0: pal Robert Lamb from Chicago, and, and he said, okay? "Yeah, he said the same thing. He said even when they're on the road, they're in the hotel room, they're they're jamming away and making sure that they get it to a
1: nice tight level." Yeah, absolutely. Preparation is the key.
0: I think it was your dad who at one point said if you're going to play, you better put in the practice.
1: That's right. You better play. If you're going to play it, you better play it right. That's how you do, you know?
0: And I think I read that you said hey, and it kept a young guy off the streets and out of trouble as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's the one thing about sports and, and entertainment, you know what I mean? It, it, it's really good for young people. It gives us a, a place to let off a lot of steam and and, uh, and we get a chance to work towards something. It's a, it's a great thing if you can stay busy as a teenager.
0: At what age were you when you played your first professional Telecaster? 16. Yeah, and that had to be a pretty big moment for you, right?
1: Well, the Telecaster, that was what all the, 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 the professionals had. You know, I had a professional telecaster base at 16, you know.
0: You know, in Earth, Wind & Fire, I'm always curious, uh, with different different bands, especially one like yours, where you've got this professional background, what was the compositional process for putting a song together with you guys?
1: Well, some of it were jams, and, and some of it was ideas that Maurice had, you know. And uh, uh, and it was just fun being part of it, and and uh, and really, you know, you know, having a good time doing it. You know,
0: were you actually writing down chords that type of thing while you were getting a song together?
1: Sometimes, mostly it was, you know, it's listening. You know, a lot of it is listening. You know,
0: There's other bands comment on this? When the disco era entered the scene, what mm-hmm. effect, what effect, if any, did that did that have on your band?
1: Not at all. You know. You know, it uh, it was just another form of music. It just seemed to me
0: like the spectrum of your music was kind of very wide, and so it it wouldn't have much of an effect. No. <laughs> the original name of your band, I just I think I just found this out, was the Salty Peppers. Right, the salty peppers, yeah. Uh,
1: did everyone agree on that? Well, I was young, as I said before, that that was started in the beginning of the game. You know what I mean? That was more Maurice's idea.
0: You guys have such a good feeling when you listen to Earth, Wind & Fire. How cool was it for you to have Boogie Wonderland in the uh,
1: Caddyshack movie? Well, that wasn't the first song in the movie we had, you know. That was one with that fantasy and, and John Travolta's movie, with, you know, Caddyshack, Boogie Wonderland, Gotta Get You My Life. So it really wasn't the first, you know, it wasn't the first.
0: So how does that work out? What are the rights? Is that something where they had to work it out with with your brother?
1: I guess, you know, because you never know with movies, you know. And, and of course, you know, we've had movies and Trolls recently and things like that, you know. And (laughs) uh, uh, so we've been real fortunate that we've had songs and movies and five generations of people to see us. So, you know, in that way, you know... uh, uh, you know, we have this all types of people that come to see us or benefit our shows.
0: You've produced people like Level 42, Florida, even Kelly Clarkson. Is is that part of the business that
1: you really enjoy? Uh, what is? It's all part of the process. You know, you get a call. And you might play on people's records and. And produce a little. So it's, it's you know, it's all the, it's a part of the whole thing. And it's a, and it's a lot of fun. you know.
0: I mentioned, you know, Chicago earlier, Robert, Robert Lamb told me that uh, few things bring him more joy than playing on the same bill as you guys. You, I'm assuming you feel the same way.
1: Absolutely. That was one of the greatest tours ever in the history of touring, you
0: know? Yeah, I think his comment was that when you were on stage at the same time playing that you just kind of melded into one band.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Great guys, too. I love Robert.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you've got that in common with him, that music, it's the love of your life.
1: Absolutely. Great guys, Chicago. Our favorite people. We're like, we're all like brothers, man. We're like brothers, you know? Uh,
0: Is there a line of Verdeen White guitars?
1: Yes, I do. I have, uh, Roger Sadowski has a line of Verdeen White.
0: And when you're not on the road, Verdeen, what keeps you busy these days?
1: Uh, well, I've been on the road, so I've been busy. That's so-
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what keeps you busy, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Can you tell me, uh, if you would, about the Verdeen White Performing Arts Center?
1: Well, we have we have, uh, 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 the Verdeen White Performing Arts Center that, that started with my wife and son about 15 years ago, and we're doing really, really good. We, uh, we see... Uh, every Wednesday we feed uh, uh, free breakfast to the kids that are going to school and we fed 4,000 kids last year and because uh, a lot of the young urban kids they don't eat breakfast they don't they they leave home without without uh, proper food and we do things like that and and uh, we have a yearly trip this year they're going to go to Washington D.C. and, and see uh, the African American Arts Museum and, and things like that so uh we're doing some good things. Good, good things, man.
0: That's great work. And, you know, it, it's tough, isn't it, in school these days with so many so many music programs are being cut to this day.
1: Yeah, Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But uh, we're doing our part, man, and I'm really proud of
0: it. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you what it meant for you guys to go into the Rock Hall of Fame a few years ago.
1: But oh, it was a big... You know, oh, it's, uh, it's like getting an Oscar, you know, for, you know, not many people have those opportunities to be honored like that. And it was a real, real honor. And it always will be, you know, things like that, you know.
0: Verdeen White, Earth, Wind & Fire at the Venetian here in Las Vegas. You can go to the Venetian box office or online to look into tickets. Verdeen, always great to talk to you. We look forward to seeing you back here. Thank you, Jim. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye now. He is that brilliant mix of such a great showman and a serious musician. By the way, this is the 50th anniversary of Earth, Wind & Fire, a great live show. And they're coming up at the Venetian. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. See you next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.